We are in our final week of our pursuit series. Pursuit, an active word to pursue God, to pursue our faith. And I want to start with a story before we get into the words um, as a review. I have been telling you a bit about my call from when I was 16, 17, and, and I don't know how far along I've gotten, but when I was about 34, I was facing down the graduation of my undergrad degree in religion and philosophy and, you know, thinking I knew all this stuff, and then was discerning what's next. And I'd gotten a call while I was doing my full-time youth ministry. I got a call to consider becoming a pastor for a small church while I did seminary, which in my mind was, uh, I can deal with teenagers and youth. I, they're, they're my crew. But adults, I don't know. I've never done that. And to be the pastor, I don't know about this. And we actually showed up to the dinner with the DS to say no. But then during the meal, we discovered yeah, we're supposed to be there. And what led into this discerning process, or, or as a part of it, is I took the youth to, on a confirmation trip. We like to visit all sorts of different areas. And we visited a uh, convent up near Indianapolis, and they have a prayer labyrinth. Have you ever seen a prayer labyrinth? It's real big. It's like as big as this room. It's round, and it looks like a maze. And it's got all these little valleys, and it winds all the way around, and it looks like it's a bunch of concentric circles. Um, but there's a path that leads every square inch of it and leads you to the middle. And then the idea is you sit in the middle and pray or whatever you feel called to do, and then you make your way out the same way that you made your way in. And the idea is that you have this time as you approach God to pray and to center and to focus and to push out distraction and, and to just breathe and not think about anything. You can think about Scripture if you want. Uh, people do it lots of different ways. I walked into it with a question on my mind. What am I supposed to do? And I approach labyrinths like thinking of Moses on a mountain. It's a flat mountain. But Moses was called up to the mountain to encounter God. And I wonder what each step of the journey was like for Moses to think about what he was going up there to do and what it might be like. And so I approached the labyrinth the same way, trying to prepare for what I might discover in the middle. And so I wind around mindlessly and I'm thinking, what, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just tell me what you want me to do. I arrived in the middle 10 minutes later, sat down on the bench and waited, said a prayer, silent, and I waited, and I waited, and nothing happened. So I thought, well, must not be time to get the answer. So I stood up and started walking my way back out, and during that 10 minutes, I found myself humming something. It was a familiar tune, and it was, uh, hum along if you know it. Right? Trust and obey. When it finally dawned on me. Trust and obey, there's no other way. Trust and obey. I took that as God saying, Joe, you worry about so much. Just calm down. Trust and obey. And that was enough. It was a weird moment. And I've turned to it again and again in times of what am I supposed to do? Trust and obey. So we've had a word each week of this series. Week one was revelation, which is all about un the unveiling, seeing something you didn't see before. And we're called to that when we pursue our faith. God will show us things that we didn't see before. Oftentimes they've already been in our life, we just didn't see them. Submission is where we we submit to it. We give of ourselves. We decide that it's not important that we get our way. We would rather God get God's way. And that may look different than we thought, but we just submit. 
And then there was recalibration last week, which is where we're going to be recalibrated in our mind and how we understand things, how we understand ourselves, our faith, God. And that's a good thing. Amen? Okay, so today's word is devotion. Have you heard this word? Could you define it? Some of these words we use a lot. Here's the definition. Well, first, I'll tell you, I'm going to define the word. I'm going to define another very important Christian phrase that you all have heard. And then I'm going to consider the call of some fishermen. And then I'm going to talk about our call. Okay? Devotion. Defined by the great minds, the theological wizards of Google. Love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. Love, loyalty, or enthusiasm. Interesting three words. Do you have love, loyalty, and enthusiasm for a lot of things in your life? For a person, activity, or cause. So as Christians, we're to have love, loyalty, and enthusiasm. And sometimes that enthusiasm, it takes some work, doesn't it? When you have to get up at 6.30 a.m. on Sunday to come to worship, you may need to spark your enthusiasm about it. Yes? Or when God says, go there, and you say, really? Go into the prison? You need some help being enthusiastic about it, don't you? Yeah, but that's our devotion. So who are we devoted to? Because we're devoted to a person, activity, or cause. Well, for us, it's two things. The person is our triune God. Triune. Have you heard that word before? Triune. Tri, three. Un, one. We're to be devoted to our three, one God. It's great Christian math. One plus one plus one equals one. And if you think you've wrapped your head around it, they say that you've just proven you haven't. What we do is we talk about God in three persons, okay? So our triune God is three in one. There's the creator. Sometimes we say father. Sometimes we say mother. Sometimes we say parent. It's who we refer to oftentimes when we just use the three letters G-O-D, God. The creator is who created all, who, who was made, made it all happen, the creator God. And then there's the son, who we know to be the word and flesh, who we call by what name? Jesus Christ. And we need both words. There's something really monumental about both words. Jesus, the Christ, he's the Son. And then the Spirit, whom we know to be the active presence of Jesus Christ in our lives, whom we call the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. That's our triune God, three in one, creator, Son, Spirit. You with me? Okay. We're called to be devoted to the triune God and be devoted to God's activity, will, cause, yeah, I like to use the word will because I think that's what the will of God really is, the activity and cause of God. Now, the activity and will of God are summed up in a phrase that we use quite a bit, and it is phrased in one of four ways, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Some say reign of God or reign of heaven. Some say kingdom. Some say lots of other things. But you've heard of that phrase, yes? This is the activity or the will of God. We'll get to that in a moment. In our passage, Jesus is said to have moved from Galilee up north to some, some areas that were hard to pronounce, weren't they, Mark? Because John was arrested. Because when you're proclaiming a kingdom and reign amidst another kingdom and reign, the people in charge get upset. They don't like it. And so they arrested John. So Jesus moves north because he's carrying the same message. Jesus speaks to this northern group of people. Let me tell you about this northern group of people in Galilee. A lot of Gentiles, a lot of people that weren't Israel. 
A lot of Jewish freedom fighters, revolutionaries, people that wanted Israel to go to war against Rome because they were oppressing them and Israel's God's people and God would be behind them. And so if somebody would just stand up and lead, if God would send the king, they could go to war and be freed. And so there were two groups. You may have heard of the Zealots. Zealots was one of these revolutionary groups. Another one was the Sicarii. Have you heard of the Sicarii? It's named after the sword, the Sicar. What they would do is they'd be up in the hills of Galilee, lots of hills there. They'd come down upon a Roman group and slaughter people kill the soldiers and then escape and go back up in the hills. And uh, that was kind of what they did, guerrilla warfare, and doing the work of God awaiting a king. Now, the people in charge, they don't like it when people talk about another kingdom and all this is going on, but the people who aren't in charge, who are actually under the boot of those who are, they love hearing about another kingdom. And you can understand why. So, Jesus moves here amongst this group who are really excited about the idea of God's kingdom. And Jesus turns and says to them, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in the way you heard it in the CEB is change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Have you heard anyone say it like that before? Here comes the kingdom. That's what Jesus said. Matthew, as we refer to this gospel writer, he says kingdom of heaven rather than kingdom of God because Matthew's very Jewish and in the Jewish culture, you don't say the name of God. So instead of saying God, you would say other words. You'd say heaven. Or in a synagogue today, they wouldn't say Yahweh. In fact, I would never say that in there either. That would be really disrespectful. They'll just say Hashem, which means the name. That's how generic they are. And Matthew follows that. So God becomes heaven. The kingdom of God is coming. He says repent. Or in the other translation, change your hearts and lives. It's a way to call people to recalibrate. Okay, you don't call people that are already on the right path to change everything. And we all need to change our hearts and lives. Amen? Anybody here that doesn't? Okay. Phyllis, just pulled your hand down, Lloyd. Now, Jesus is talking to this group of people who are ready for war, and he's telling them, repent should not be heading for war. When the word Messiah is being thrown around, people tend to perk their ears up, and a Messiah was a word for an anointed king of God to lead God's people. So all these people are expecting the Messiah to say, prepare for war, and instead he says, repent. Got it all wrong. So when people were ready to follow John the Baptist and they were, they would come and receive this ritual washing that would be done to soldiers preparing for battle. That's where baptism comes from. We, we put on purity so that we enter the fight pure. John was arrested for doing what he was doing. People were ready to devote themselves to John and his activity because they perceived John and his activity would lead them to war, which they'd been praying for. John's arrested. Jesus moves north. Now, Jesus speaks to these people. If they don't change their march to Rome, they will die. Because you don't fight Rome and win. 30 or so years after Jesus died, they fought Rome, and they were crushed and annihilated. You can read about the Jewish revolt. Jesus wanted them to understand that he was a Messiah, he was the Messiah, but that God's activity was never war. It was never violence, power, and resistance, and it was never politics ever. God's activity and will is love, compassion, grace, forgiveness, 
and justice. This is not what people were expecting to hear from Jesus, the Messiah. And they would reject him for this. They would kill him for this. Because they were looking for their own version. Now, early in his ministry, Jesus calls disciples. We know about the disciples. He gives a very rabbinic call on the side of the lake, come follow me, and they immediately leave everything and come follow him. It's so interesting, isn't it? He called disciples. That seems, well, of course he did to us. The Messiah, God's appointed king, ushering in the very activity and will of God, doesn't call religious experts or Bible scholars. He calls hillbilly fishermen, and that's what they were. He doesn't call leaders of the groups that had already established followings. He doesn't call them. He calls fishermen out fishing. I think if, if he had called these leaders of other groups and all these experts, I think it would have been a very slim chance that they would have put down their own expectations to receive what Jesus came to reveal. I think he needed people that didn't have a lot of expectation to start to see what he was actually bringing in, what the kingdom activity actually looked like. I think the, the other group would have just been looking at Jesus, expecting to see what they wanted to see, and constantly measuring him by that. And when he didn't measure up, they would conspire on the side to kill him, which is what they did. You hear that many times in the Gospels. They conspired to kill him. They didn't like what he was saying. So he calls these fishermen. They're tradespeople. They're simple. No doubt, they have seen Jesus preach. They've probably seen him do a miracle. They know who he is. They know about him. So it's exciting. They've heard the message of repentance and of the kingdom. Jesus calls them where they are and begins a journey for them that they can come and see. Let God reveal to them that they might submit to it, that then they could be recalibrated to understand what God's activity is in the kingdom and then devote themselves to God's Messiah and the kingdom for all of humanity, which is what they did. Now, in the gospel story, they're going to struggle once they get out of the boat. Yes? They will doubt they will resist. They will tempt Jesus and stand in his way and say, no, you're not going to Jerusalem. They'll be called Satan. They will abandon him. And then because of all that Jesus teaches them throughout the life, when Jesus approaches them in resurrection, and it all makes sense and they know it's true, they're going to change the world, these hillbilly fishermen from Galilee. And there were lots of women in the group too. Okay, let's be honest here. Lots of women and lots of men. We focus on the 12 for a specific reason, but we'll focus on that another day. We're all called, all of us are called to continue the work of the Messiah and God's activity of the kingdom. We're called to be devoted to it, to our triune God and God's will, to love it, to be loyal to it, to be enthusiastic. We do not have to have all the answers in this faith. We do not have to have all the answers. In fact, our quest to have all the answers gets in the way. Just like these Sicarian zealots thinking they knew. They needed everyone else to see. They couldn't see. Jesus didn't call them. Sometimes we can be so devoted to our own understanding, our own need for others to see it our way, and we want them to submit to us and be devoted to our cause. Friends, this is, this is not the work of God. This kind of work is not of God. God's activity is on full display in the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen?
God's activity is revealed to us in our hearts through the presence of Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit. Amen? And here's the thing. God didn't have to create any of this. Think about your lives, the things you love about this world, the great past. God didn't have to create any of it. Did God have to do that? Could God have just kept his mouth shut that day instead of speaking the word? Mm -hmm. God chose to create and keep creating us even when we messed it up. God didn't have to send the word and flesh to be our Messiah to help us repent and become a part of the activity of the will of God. The disciples didn't have to get out of that boat. The apostles didn't have to change their hearts and lives for the sake of helping everyone else come to see the perfect beauty in God's will and that God, God offers to everybody. But here we are. That's a miracle. Here we are. Here you are in your mess in your beauty, in your joy, in your worry. You know why? Because God chose to create it all and to be a part of our lives. Because God loves us. Love is why we are here. That's the will of God. The kingdom of God is at hand for us all. We simply only need to open our eyes and get out of our boats. We'll figure out what we need to figure out on the journey. Amen? Whatever we need to figure out, God will figure out with us. Whatever we don't, we won't. Seems simple, but we struggle with that, don't we? So we'll figure out the answers we need. We don't need to worry about fighting for power and influence, war and politics, because this is not the work of God. That is not the way of the kingdom offered to us through Jesus Christ. We only need to get up from where we currently are, and I don't know where you are, but get up from where you are and devote yourselves to the will of God and Jesus Christ. Work consistently to develop your love, your loyalty, and your enthusiasm for Jesus Christ and the activity of the Holy Spirit within you. Don't worry about what everyone else has to say about any particular topic, about any particular view or perspective. God would not want you to worry about it. Let's instead work with devotion in ourselves, in our own hearts. Get our hearts right. And then as a group of people, as a church, as a body of Christ in Sellersburg, Indiana, Sellersburg United Methodist Church, let's then be devoted to following the way of life and encourage and build one another up, which is what Paul calls us to do again and again. And Christ says, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Love let's be self-giving in our love. Let's be exceptional in our compassion. Let's be endless in our mercy and infinite in our grace. Let's be devoted to the work of Jesus Christ and leave everything else behind. Amen? Amen. Amen.